Praise the Lord. Well, thank you very much for your giving. I believe God's going to do it all. You know, I'm trying to be practical. And so I've talked to my builder and he gave me a plan on building half of it and then the other half. I'm trying to use wisdom, but boy, I tell you what, Greg, that just inspired me to shoot for the whole thing all at once. That's what I'd rather do. Yeah. I've got some big... I've got some big dreams. If I was to tell you all my dreams, it would scare you. It would scare you. Um, Jamie, when, uh, when uh, Barry was teaching yesterday about your future and about your dreams, she's patting me on the leg like, you're, you're dreaming big enough. You know? <laughs> we were at church and somebody was preaching about, you know, believing big for your future. And he was challenging people, you need to believe big. And Jamie just pushed me down and says, you're believing big enough. Just <laughs> I have a friend that says, if your visions and dreams don't keep you up at night, you're dreaming too small. I tell you what, we got a big God, and I don't believe that God's in heaven saying, oh, please don't encourage him to believe any bigger. I can't pull that off. Man, God can handle, I don't care how big you dream, God can handle it, amen. So, that's awesome. Praise God. You know, I think that's the first time I ever heard Greg minister. I've gotten his tape series before on leadership, and I've listened to them, but that was the first time I ever sat in on his ministry. I was really blessed. That's awesome. Praise God. Thank God for that. Wendell Parr, I asked Wendell to come and be on staff and uh, be one of the teachers in our school, and I've never heard him minister not on tape or anything. And I know some people wonder, how can you do that? Because, again... I can tell more about a person by going to their church and seeing the fruit of their ministry than I can by just listening to a message. Yes, sir. All right, come up here and tell us. Greg says we need to hear what God's doing through Lawson. Here's the mic. Well, I was just telling Greg, I don't like to tell my vows, but um, the Lord spoke to us to do a quarter million, so... We're going to, we're, we're, uh, we've been given, but we're, uh, we put the first 10,000 in and then for the next four years, we'll give 5,000 a month. So, and we'll break that up. We're giving CBC so much. So we'll break that up That's half awesome. to CBC and half to the ministry. But and I believe God's going to bless it back to y'all. Oh, it's going to come back many times. I, so, I don't like to tell these vows. I, that's but all right. We threw it out of you, so you still are going to receive your return. So, all right. All right. I had another man come up and give us 10000 so that's and then another guy told me 1000 so that's 21000 out of three people. So, praise God, I believe that there's $10 million coming in through this group. What a deal. I think we might have you minister tonight or something. What a deal. You know what, we aren't in it for the money, and, and some of you may question that because there's so many ministers that are and they use manipulation and stuff. But you know what, Greg, ourself, Lawson, uh, you don't have this perspective, but all of us have been ministering a very long time, and we've done it when there was no money in it, when we were nearly starving to death, when it looked like we were going to die the next week. And I can tell you, myself and these people, they are not in it for the money. But we are in a position right now where God's doing some great things and it takes money to accomplish His vision. And praise God, we've learned some things and it's working. 
And so I'm excited. Uh, buildings are just a tool, but praise God, you need tools to be able to work. You know, I got me a skid loader at my house because I'm working on my property all of the time. And it is absolutely amazing what I can do with that thing. I love that machine. I moved a boulder that was at least this high and probably six or seven feet long. I moved that thing with that skid loader, which you aren't supposed to be able to do. But I did. And I'm doing things with it that you can't do. And you know what? In order to get stuff done, you have to have the tools. Otherwise, it would have been impo- I'd have died trying to build, move that boulder. I'd have had to broken it in little tiny pieces. It would have taken me a year to do what I did in an hour. And so, uh, anyway, buildings are tools, and it just enables us to do things. And so, praise God for it. Amen? Well, I'm going to finish up my uh, series. This, I'm not finished by any means, but I've been teaching in the morning on You've Already Got It. And uh, there's a lot of things to say. In our normal sequence of that teaching, I talk about it's in the spiritual realm. Because when you start talking about how God has already done everything, people immediately go to say, but no, I don't have it. I can prove to you, here's my bank statement and it's not there. I can prove to you, here's the doctor's report and I am not healed. And this is the way that most people look at it. And so I usually spend a whole session uh, ministering on that it's in the spirit realm that God has already released His power. And then with your words and actions, you can take what is real in the spirit and make it manifest into the physical realm. And uh, man, that is powerful. I've already referred that some, so I'm going to move on to some other things and just illustrate. What did I do in my Bible? Here it is. Thank you, Jamie Ann. It's the only way I can get her to stand up and let everybody see it. Look over in Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17, in the first five verses, first four verses, Jesus was talking to his disciples about forgiveness and how if people trespass against you, you're supposed to forgive them. And if they trespassed against you seven times in one day, you're supposed to forgive them seven times in one day. And look in verse 5, that the apostles said unto the Lord, increase our faith. You know, this is interesting to me because the apostles saw Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead, the widow's son from the dead, saw him multiply the food, saw him walk on the water, calm the seas, do miracle after miracle after miracle, and they never said increase our faith. But when he talked to them about forgiving people seven times in one day, they said, increase our faith. That's really significant. Did you know it takes as much faith to operate in love and unity when people have done you wrong and have done things to you? That is a tremendous display of faith. So I think that's really important. But look at Jesus' response in verse 6. The Lord said, if you had faith as a grain of mustard seed, you might say unto this sycamine tree, be thou plucked up by the root, And be thou planted in the sea, and it should obey you. Jesus used this same example with different things in Mark 11, 23. He used it about a mountain in Matthew chapter 17. He used it about unbelief. But he used this same illustration three different times in his different teaching. And every time the instance was, he says, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, I don't know how many of you have ever seen a mustard seed, but I mean, it's tiny. I've got some. 
And if, if I was holding it up here, you wouldn't be able to see it on the front row. It is just, it's one of the smallest seeds that there is. So the point that he's making, if your faith was as small as a mustard seed, it's enough to just speak to a tree and say, be uprooted and cast into the sea and it would obey you. Mark eleven twenty three. you could say to a mountain, just look at Pike's Peak out here and think that faith, if you only have this much faith, a tiny, nearly insignificant amount of faith, it is enough to say to Pike's Peak to be removed and cast into the sea and it would obey you. Now don't do it because I like Pike's Peak. <laughs> it's right outside of my window. And um, so don't mess with my mountain, amen. But... I don't believe that that's figurative. I believe it literally could happen. I mean, again, it's like Greg was teaching this morning. You know, it would be selfish on most people's part to just go do it, to see if you could do it. And you don't have grace to do that. But I mean, if there was a need, I, that is a literal statement. That's how powerful our faith is and just a tiny amount. And remember that this was given in response to the disciples' statement about increase our faith. So basically what he's saying is, guys, you don't need more faith. If your faith was only this big, it's enough to do these miraculous things. You do not need more faith. And the reason I'm ministering on this is because, again, when you start talking about all of the things that God has given us in victory and all of these things, people immediately say, well, man, maybe it's available, but I just need more faith. I hear people pray this all of the time. I heard Reinhard Bonnke uh, interviewed one time on the 700 Club, and he was talking about the miracles that he sees overseas, and he was saying that he hardly ever finishes a message without people started popping up and being healed and miracles happening. And he says he never gets to finish a message because so many miracles happen. But he says in America, he has never been interrupted. And he was saying these things. And then they took questions from the audience. And a person in the audience says, why is it that you see so many more miracles overseas? Is it because they have more faith? And the Lord had shown me these things I'm going to be sharing with you this morning. So immediately my antennas went up. I wanted to hear what he had to say. And he responded by saying, you Americans are the only place I've ever been in my life where people have this concept of more faith, big faith, little faith. He says, that is totally missing it. If you have faith the size of a mustard seed, it's enough to see the dead raised. You don't need this huge faith. And basically, that's what Jesus is telling His disciples. And then He goes on and He uses this parable in verse 7. He says, but which of you, having a servant plowing or feeding cattle, will say unto him, by and by, when he has come from the field, go and sit down to meet. And will not rather say unto him, make ready wherewith I may sup, and gird thyself, and serve me till I have eaten and drunken, and afterward you shall eat and drink. Doth he thank that servant because he did the things that he commanded him? I trow not. That means I don't think so. So likewise ye, when ye shall have done all those things which are commanded you, say, we are unprofitable servants, for we have done that which is our duty to do. Some people struggle with that, but basically here's what he's saying. Look, you got a slave, you got a servant, faith, you just aren't using what you got. You would treat your slave better than this. I mean, you would use your slave more than this, rather than sit there and let him just indulge himself and take care of himself. No, you've got him and he's supposed to serve you. Faith, you just aren't using what you've got is the point that he's making. 
So here's what I want to get across is that you already have all of the faith that you need to accomplish these things. And I think it is very important for you to realize this because most people will sit here and hear us say all these things we've talked about this week. You will intellectually say, I agree, but you know what? I just don't have the faith. You do have the faith. And some people will say, well, I know I've got it, but it's just little tiny and it hasn't grown. Again, you don't need big faith. And your faith in the spirit realm is perfect and is complete. You have the same quality and quantity of faith that Jesus has right now. You do not have a faith problem. You've got a knowledge problem. That's a big statement. You automatically believe and receive the things that you know. A scripture that says, let's look over in 2 Peter chapter 1. Let me just use this verse. 2 Peter chapter 1, in verse 1, it says, Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us. If you look this up in the Greek, it's talking about an identical faith. It isn't just saying it's similar. That I've got this huge faith and you have this... It's a similar type of faith, but you just got a tiny bit. No, it's talking about identical faith. Peter here is saying, I'm writing to those who have obtained like precious faith with me through the righteousness of God and of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, Peter's faith was sufficient so that when he walked along, his shadow would touch people and they, they would be healed. Peter is the one who was able to walk on water. Now, he didn't continue. He wavered, but he still did something that nobody else had done. Peter did some pretty awesome things, and he says, you have like precious faith. And if you say, well, no, I don't, well, then just tear Second Peter out of your Bible because it's written to people that have like precious faith. Nothing else applies to you. You do have faith. You've got plenty of faith. You've got the exact same faith that raised Jesus from the dead. You do not have a faith problem. You've got a knowledge problem. And look at the next verse here. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Most people will sit there and pray, Oh God, please give me peace. God, I'm stressed out. Would you just please give me your peace and joy? It's tied to knowledge. If you are thinking the way that this world thinks, you are not going to have peace. I think I said this this week already, but if you aren't depressed and if you are only looking in the natural realm, then you aren't paying attention. Because I guarantee you, there's a lot of depressing things going on in this world. Things are not going from good, to, I mean bad to good. They're going from good to bad. The whole world is in a state of disorder. And I guarantee you, there is a lot of reasons to be upset. But if you keep your mind stayed on the Lord, Isaiah 26, 3 says, The Lord will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed upon him because he trusts in him. If you don't have perfect peace... It is not because you have a hormone problem. It is not because you have a chemical imbalance. It is not because of what somebody did. It's because you do not have your mind stayed on the Lord. You keep your mind stayed on the Lord and you will be in perfect peace. Period. End of discussion. Regardless of what the doctor says, regardless of what a psychiatrist says, there is no reason for you not to have peace if your mind is stayed on God. That's tight, but it's right. 
That is really simple. Grace and peace comes through the knowledge of Him. If you are just looking at things and listening to the news media, no wonder you're upset because they are feeding you uh, things that some of it may be facts, but it's all interpreted with an unbeliever's perspective. It is not looking at things from God's perspective and it'll cause panic. You know, we just had a meeting with our architects yesterday and some things came up. Anyway, they were asking about some things. And uh, David Hardesty just told them, they said, well, we know that the recession is bad and they were talking about stuff. And David Hardesty says, uh, we just decided not to participate in the recession. Amen. <laughs> and did you know that since the recession hit, our income in the ministry has more than doubled. The last two months, we have set record months. And this month has the potential of blowing away the last two months. During the summer, and did you know most ministers talk about, well, in the summer, people take vacations and they quit giving. Our income's up. We, be, we buck every trend that there is. And people say, you can't do that. Well, don't wake me up because we're doing it. I tell you, we limit we limit what God can do by thinking that, well, there's a recession. So, you know, there, we know of hundreds of ministries here in Colorado Springs. And when the recession hit and people started talking about things, I know this firsthand because I know some of the people that are in those ministries. And those ministries met with their people and planned for a 15 to 20 percent reduction. They budgeted for it. They cut back. They quit preaching the gospel. They went off television. They went off radio. They quit their outreaches. If anything, when there is a panic in the economy and people are thinking negative, that's when ministries ought to step up and increase our ministry instead of decrease it. And yet ministries planned on having problems. And then when they had a 15, 20% reduction, they just talk about why is this happening? They believed for it. They planned for it. We just decided not to participate. Jamie and I, our little bit of money that we have in the stock market, did you know that when the stocks crashed, our uh, profits, we increased 61% in the first six months after the stock market went down 50%. Some of you think, if you can't do that. Well, don't wake me up because that's my testimony and I'm sticking with it. I'm telling you, God will supply your need according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. I'm just using those things to say that, see, people are only listening to what the world says. And you're listening to the carnal unbelievers talk about this. But God is not upset about anything. He's not worried. And I, I don't care what happens in your life. If your mind was stayed upon God and what God has to say about it, you would be in perfect peace. Grace and peace is multiplied unto you not by prayer. Not by fasting, not by begging God to do something. It's by when you get your mind stayed on the Word of God, you have an abundance of grace and peace because you see it from God's perspective. It even says in Matthew chapter 24 that when you see all of these signs coming to pass, earthquakes, tsunamis, all of these terrible things, famines, all of the things that you see on the news, it says lift up your eyes and rejoice because your redemption draws nigh. If you were looking at things from God's perspective, you could take the newspaper and every rotten thing that's happening and saying, man, this is prophecy being fulfilled before my eyes. The time is close. Jesus is at the door and you could be rejoicing. 
There isn't anything going on. You don't need a pill. You just need the gospel. Amen. You need to take a good, good dose of the gospel. And then look in verse 3. According as His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of Him that has called us to glory and virtue. Well, what is it that pertains unto life and godliness? Man, you could name dozens of things, but faith is certainly one of them. And you know what? It's given unto you through the knowledge of Him. This goes right along with Romans chapter 10, verse 17. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. What you don't know is killing you. People will say ignorance is bliss. That's an absolute lie. What you don't know is killing you. A scripture that I've already quoted, Philippians chapter, or excuse me, Philemon chapter 1, verse 6. It, he's praying a prayer, and he prays that the communication of your faith will become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing that is in you in Christ Jesus. People are panicking and frustrated because they know God can do something, but they don't know that He has already done it. And this applies to all kinds of things, but it applies especially to faith. You already have been given the gift of faith. It's on the inside of you. It's not out there. You don't need to pray and ask God to give you faith or to increase your faith. You need to get a revelation of what God has already done and see that you already have faith. Another scripture that I've already used is Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23. And it says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. When you got born again, it is a fruit of the Spirit on the inside of you. God gave you faith. When you got born again, here's a scripture that I've already used too. I, I'm short on time, so I'm just going to say these things. You can get the tape and go study it out or do whatever. But anyway, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, For by grace are you saved, through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Most people interpret that, that that salvation, you're, sa you're saved. By grace are you saved, through faith, and that salvation is not of yourselves. And that's a totally accurate statement. But it's also accurate to say that the faith that you use to get saved isn't of yourselves. It's not just human faith. It's not like you just have a faith and then there's a supernatural faith and God's got to give it to you and all this. No. God, when you got born again, gave you a supernatural God faith. The faith came from Him. That's the reason Romans 10, 17 says faith comes by hearing the Word of God. Every Word of God, you need to look at it like this, like it's a container when you read it or hear it spoken, every true word of God contains His faith in it. That's why faith comes by hearing His word. You have to hear the word in order to believe. With human faith, you cannot believe for something that you can't see, taste, hear, smell, or feel. Human faith is limited to the carnal physical senses. You know, when I was a kid, they, they actually did this. They would take a chair and they would put it on the stage. And they'd say, it's faith for you to sit in this chair. How do you know that this chair is going to hold you up? 
And they said, that's faith. They would say, it's faith to drive through an intersection when your light is green. You can't see the other light. How do you know that it's red? How do you know that the people are going to stop? And so that's faith to drive through an intersection because you're doing things that you just don't know for sure. It's faith to get in a plane and fly in a plane because you don't understand how a plane works. You don't understand all these things. That's faith. Well, it's a human, carnal type of faith or trust because... Uh, when you, a person puts a chair up here, like when we have chairs in here, you trust that we aren't going to use a facility where the chairs won't hold you up. You have trust in the people that they're going to take care of the facility. And so there is somebody that you know that you trust that they have checked these things and taken and looked at it. It actually would be a greater illustration of what Bible faith is to say, come sit in this chair. And there is no chair here. Because the Bible says in Romans chapter 4, verse 17, that God calls those things which be not as though they are. God said, let there be light. In Genesis chapter 1, I believe it's verse 3, and there was light. And it was, it was the first day, and it was the fourth day before He created the sun, the moon, or the stars. God created light four days before there was anything for light to come from. With human faith, you can't do things like that. You can't think that way. But God calls those things that be not as though they are. When you got born again, you were believing for something that you couldn't see. You were believing your sins would be forgiven. You've never seen a sin. You've seen people commit sins, but I mean, what does a sin look like? Can you see sins in your body? You can see sometimes the effects of sin that it has on people, but you can't see sin. You couldn't see if you had a sin. You couldn't see if it was forgiven. You have to do that by faith. You're believing in a God who you've never seen. You're believing in a devil and a hell that you've never seen. And you're believing for all of these things. How can you believe for something that you can't see? It takes God's supernatural faith, a faith that calls things that be not as though they are. So the reason I say all of this is to say that when you got born again, you didn't use human faith because you were having to believe for things that you couldn't see and prove. So you had God supernaturally impart His faith unto you. Somebody shared the Word of God with you some way. Somehow you got truth from God and those truths contained God's faith. So when you got born again, it was actually God's faith that produced that. Man, if I had time, I'm talking as fast as I can. But you could turn over to Galatians chapter 2 and verses 16 and 17. talks about that we are justified by the faith of Jesus, not faith in Jesus. And some people think, well, that's a minor difference. That's a huge difference. You, did, you aren't justified, set free in the sight of God by putting faith in Jesus. In a sense, that's true. I'm not going to argue with you over it. But it is actually the faith of Jesus that produces salvation in you. He provided it all and we are so destitute that we can't even believe because we're believing for things that we can't see. Humans are limited. You can't believe for things that you can't see with just human faith. So God even, He not only had to provide the salvation, but He had to provide His faith so that you could receive what He did. That's how destitute we were. So you were born again by the faith 
of Jesus. It literally was imparted unto you as you heard the word. And when you heard it, all you have to do is respond and use his faith to believe and receive his salvation. You have the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ on the inside of you. Turn over and look at this verse. I'm quoting a bunch of these, but you need to look at this one or you wouldn't believe this is in the Bible. Romans chapter 12 and verse 3. I'm not going to read the whole verse, but just the last part of this verse. It says, but you are to think soberly according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. Now, if you're reading out of the NIV, the nearly inspired version, you might have a measure of faith. I'm not against that. Read it if you want to. But I can show you at least six or seven verses in the Bible that they took out. They didn't even put them in. Matthew 17, 21 is one of them. They just didn't even translate all of it. Plus, I believe they really messed up a bunch of stuff. So it's not my favorite version. But the NIV says that you are uh, every man is supposed to think soberly according as God has dealt to every man a measure of faith. That is totally missing the point. You know, if, if we had a soup kitchen going right here, and if I was serving soup, and if you came by and everybody had a bowl, if I had a ladle, and if that was the measure, then everybody would get the same amount of soup. But if that was only a measure, and I used a ladle for some people, and a teaspoon for others, and a tablespoon for others, and an eyedropper for somebody else, well, then there are different measures. And this is what most people think. They say, well, man, I don't doubt that what you're saying is true and you've seen your son raised from the dead and you've seen miracles, but you just got this great faith. You got this huge faith and you automatically disqualify yourself from doing the same thing because you don't doubt that it happened. You just say, I just don't have it. And so it is your, excuse me for being blunt. I know that if I was politically correct, I would say it's your lack of understanding, but it's just your stupidity that is keeping you from operating in the same thing. It's your ignorance that's causing the problem. You've got the exact same equipment that I've got. And some people think, well, you had this faith, but you have grown your faith. No, my faith hadn't grown. My unbelief has decreased. I was given the faith. This says there is one measure. And so the measure that God gave me is the exact same measure He gave to give to you. And it's the same measure that He gave to the Apostle Paul. Look in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20 at what the Apostle Paul said. He said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God, not by faith in the Son of God. Again, the not inspired version says it's by faith in the Son of God, but it says, and this is where I was quoting a moment ago from Galatians 2, 16 and 17, twice it talks about the faith of Christ is what justified us. Paul said he was living by the faith of the Son of God. Now, if there's only one measure of faith, which there is, and if Paul's measure was the faith of the Son of God, in other words, the same faith that Jesus had, and if there's only one measure, 
then that means I have the same measure. That means I have the faith of Jesus Christ on the inside of me. I don't have an inferior faith. I don't have a little seed form of that faith. I've got 100% of the same faith that the Apostle Paul had. We've already read that verse in 2 Peter chapter 1, that I have identical faith to Peter that was able to see his shadow, heal people, raise Dorcas from the dead. I've got raising from the dead faith on the inside of me. You've got the exact same faith. And I know many of you are just shaking your head. No, it's not there. That's because you're searching in your physical body and searching your mind and emotions. It's not in the flesh. It's not in the physical part of you. It's in your born-again spirit. You have the exact same faith that Jesus operated in to multiply that food. And this is exactly why Jesus said in, in John chapter 14, verse 12, Verily, verily, I say unto you, that means truly, truly. Everything Jesus said was true, but when he started out saying truly, truly, he knew that people weren't going to be able to swallow this. People were going to think, oh, no, this couldn't be what you said. So he had to say, I'm telling you the truth. I'm telling you the truth. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father." The reason that can happen is because I've got everything that Jesus used to produce those miracles. His faith in God. You've got the exact same thing. You do not have a lack or inadequacy in your born-again spirit. You've got perfect faith. You've got perfect faith. The problem is we don't have the same understanding. Our mind isn't renewed. We've been taught that, well, God does things, but I'm just nobody. I'm nothing. I have nothing. Again, I refer to Philemon chapter 1, verse 6. Your faith begins to be effectual by acknowledging the good things that are in you. Most Christians don't believe they have the faith of God. They sell themselves short, and so they think, well, I can't do that. Because you, you're looking in the physical realm and going by past experiences instead of who you are. When the Lord showed me this, this is the very first teaching I ever put on tape. I actually put it on reel-to-reel -reel tape and started sharing this and giving it to people. This happened way back in the 60s. And God showed me this. Maybe it was in 70 or somewhere around there. And God showed me that I had the exact same faith. I didn't understand how to use it. I didn't even understand how faith worked. But I got a revelation that I've got the same faith of Jesus. And instantly when I saw that, my expectation level went through the roof. I started believing for victory. I didn't know how to get there, but I knew I had it. I knew I had it. And I just started laying hands on people and praying. When I first saw my very first person healed, I didn't know that another person had been healed in the last 2,000 years. I was in a group that taught that miracles didn't happen. And I didn't hear Copenhagen, Copeland and Hagen. I didn't know of them at that time. And I didn't know that a person had been healed in the last 2,000 years, but I read the Word where it said I could do the works that He did, where you lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. And I started telling everybody and anybody, I've got the same faith, the same power that Jesus has. I'm going to lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. And I started speaking it and I started doing it. I didn't see every person healed. But I started seeing miracles happen. And when I heard that other people were seeing miracles and that there had been miracles all throughout the time from the uh, days of Jesus until now, it was a total shock to me. I thought I was the first person that had ever seen a miracle in the last 2,000 years. 
But you know what caused me to just start believing and doing it? It's because I knew it was in here. I didn't know how to get it out. I didn't know the laws of faith. I didn't know very much. But just knowing that you've got it, knowing that you know, that you know, that you know, that you've got it, changes your whole motivation. It motivates you. I liken it to like an old blind squirrel. A blind squirrel will get a nut every once in a while if it doesn't quit. If you don't know what you're doing, yet if you just know that this nut's out here someplace, I'm not going to... I'm not going to quit until I find this thing. You know what? You'll eventually stumble across a nut every once in a while. If you know that you know that you know that you've got the same power on the inside of you that raised Christ from the dead, then you will start doing it and you will learn things along the way. But so many people, they believe things can happen, but they just don't realize what they have. They don't understand that it's already been done, that you've already got it. You've already got this faith on the inside of you. You don't need more faith. And let me put another wrinkle in your brain. This will be a brand new wrinkle for some of you. Matthew chapter 17. Look at this passage of Scripture. Jesus' disciples were asking Him, Why couldn't we cast this demon out of a demon-possessed boy? And so that's the question. In verse 19, then came the disciples to Jesus apart and said, Why could not we cast him out? And they said, he said unto them, Because of your unbelief. Again, the NIV says, Because of your little faith. That is as opposite what this means as you can get. He said, It is because of your unbelief. And then he goes on to say, uh, for verily I say unto you, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you shall say unto this mountain, remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. If, it was, if he was saying it's because your faith is so little, then the rest of this verse wouldn't make sense for him to go on to say, because if your faith is only the size of a mustard seed, it's enough to speak unto this uh, mountain and cast it into the sea. That would be contradictory. It would counteract the point that he's making. He is not saying it's because your faith isn't big enough. It's because of your little faith. It's because you have unbelief. And this is brand new to a lot of people. They think, now wait a minute. Uh, if you have faith, you automatically have zero unbelief. That's not true. You could take this same example that was recorded in Mark chapter 9, just for time's sake, I'm not going to turn over there, but in Mark chapter 9, it gives a little bit more explanation. And as they brought the boy uh, to Jesus to get this demon cast out, he had a seizure, fell on the ground, began to wallow and foam at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father how long he had had it. And he said, since a child, and sometimes it'll throw him into the fire and sometimes into the water. But if you can do anything... Have mercy on us. And Jesus wasn't about to let him dump the total responsibility for this healing on him. He's, he turned around and basically said, it's not a matter of if I can believe. If you can believe, all things are possible. And this father said, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. He said, I've got faith. That's why he brought the boy to Jesus in the first place. But I've also got unbelief. Would you help my unbelief? And Jesus didn't rebuke him and say, wait, if there's any unbelief, then you aren't truly believing God. No, it's possible to believe and disbelieve at the same time. The same thing happened with Jairus when he came to ask Jesus to heal his daughter. 
and Jesus was going with him, and then a messenger came and says, don't trouble the master any longer, your little girl is dead. And Jesus immediately said, fear not, only believe. Why would he say only believe? If, if you believe, it's automatic that you're only believing. The truth is you can believe and have disbelief at the same time. Most people haven't looked at it this way. But this is really, really, really important. You don't need huge faith. All you need is faith the size of a mustard seed. And if it isn't counteracted by your unbelief, then this, this tiny amount of faith, which we have the same faith that Jesus had, and it's more than enough to produce any miracle that you need, but the problem is we have so much unbelief that counteracts us. I've, I've used this example. If I had a weight in front of me, you could hook a horse up to that weight that ex could exert enough power to move that weight. But if you had a horse of equal strength pulling in the opposite direction at the same time, you could put tremendous force on that weight and the net effect would be zero because it counterbalances each other. It counteracts each other. This is what the problem is. You've got faith, but you have unbelief. Unbelief can come, man, I'm talking so fast. You need to get my teachings on this. They did bless you. But unbelief can come through three sources. It could be through ignorance. It could be through wrong teaching. Or it can just be a natural unbelief that comes through your five senses. And unbelief has been taught to all of us. We've been taught that God is all of these things, but we are nothing. We've been taught to be carnal and not to recognize who we are in the Spirit. And that ignorance on the inside of us produces huge amounts of unbelief that counteracts our faith. You do have the faith of God. If you're born again, you've got the same faith that Peter and Paul had, but you have all of this unbelief that they didn't have. You know, Ashley and Carly are a great example because they got hold of the Word when they were believing for Hannah to be healed. I prayed with them and agreed, and they believed that Hannah was healed. But then... They had to go act on it. And they went out and Hannah had never eaten solid food in her life. Three and a half years old had never eaten solid food. The doctors didn't expect her to live through the week. Wearing nine-month-old clothes at three and a half. Just on the verge of death. And had never, in three and a half years, never eaten solid food. When she woke up, they said, Jesus healed you. And she said, I want to go eat. And she wanted to go find McDonald's. Couldn't find a McDonald's. So they went to Kentucky Fried Chicken and ate fried chicken. The first solid food she'd ever had in her life. Fried chicken. What? Ice cream. Brownies, fries, milkshake. Carly said that a well person who had not eaten in months to eat that would be sick. And she ate all of this. And did you know within an hour she started having symptoms of gagging and choking and throwing up? Now see, Ashley and Carly had faith and they believed God. But now, here came something contrary to what they believed. And if Ashley and Carly would have given in to that unbelief, to the fear, then Hannah would have been dead today. I was watching her last night and she's just so full of life up there worshiping God and praising God. What a blessing. That little girl would have been dead if Ashley and Carly would have let this fear back in. And to prove that, we had another couple come to our meetings who had a child that was in a very similar situation. I'm not sure it was exactly, but they were dying because they couldn't eat food. Ashley and Carly ministered to them. 
I ministered to them, and this little kid, was it a little girl, do you remember? A little girl, same age. And she went out and for two weeks ate everything that she had never eaten before and was doing awesome. I mean, she would have died to eat that food normally. For two weeks she ate that food and just did great. But then they had a doctor's appointment to go to. And the doctor started telling them that you are absolutely crazy. You cannot do this. Don't do this stuff anymore. And they let that unbelief in and their little girl died. And she was healed. That could have happened to Hannah. But see, it wasn't just them believing God. But you have to stand against unbelief. Unbelief is anything that violates what God says to you. Anything that contradicts the Word of God. And I pray with lots of people who they believe and they see some results, but then they don't see it as quickly as they wanted to, or they have somebody tell them you're foolish for doing this, or they just, you know, just a million different ways Satan can come at you, and they let this unbelief in, and it counterbalances their faith. You do not have a faith problem. You've got the faith of God. Now, you do need to know about it and understand how it works. And the more you get into the Word and the more understanding you get from the Word, the more your faith will work, the stronger you will see it be. It's still, it's full potency in your spirit, but it's got to go through your mind. So you've got to renew your mind to operate in it. But most people understand that faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. Unbelief comes... By hearing anything contrary to the Word of God. And most Christians feel zero, zero responsibility to limit unbelief. They actually think that something's wrong with me if I don't go and read up on everything about this disease and get as much unbelief as I can possibly get and accumulate it, and then I'm going to trust and believe God. We think it's just wisdom to have everybody tell us every reason why it can't work. I tell you what, and you are just accumulating huge amounts of unbelief and trying to drag it with your faith. That's not good. Abraham was so strong because he considered not his own body now dead. He didn't look at things that were contrary to what God said. God told him when he was 100 years old, you're going to have a child and your wife is 91 and she's going to have children. And it had, the, the scripture says it had ceased to be with her after the manner of women. That is, she was... Past menopause. It was impossible for her to get pregnant. You know what would happen if God spoke to you that you were going to have a child and your wife was 91 and you're 100? Most of us would rebuke that in the name of Jesus. (laughs) But let's say that you wanted that. And that's what you were believing for. You know what most of us would have done? We'd have gone on the internet. And we had started searching out. Now, let's see, has anybody 100 years old, has a woman ever 91 ever given birth? We would go to it. We'd go get checked out and see if, are we capable of having children? We'd go to a doctor. We would get all of this unbelief. And then we'd say, God, it's impossible. This has never happened. And after you accumulate this mountain of unbelief, then we'd say, God, was this really you? And he says, yes, that was me. And so you say, all right, I'm going to believe you. And then you wonder, well, why is it so hard? Because you got all this unbelief piled up. Abraham didn't consult with anybody. He didn't even think about the fact that he was 100 years old or his wife was 91. He didn't have more faith than we've got. I've got more faith than Abraham had. The difference is he had less unbelief. 
This man didn't sit there and watch five or six hours of television every day and read the newspaper and listen to every rotten thing that was happening in the world and the unbelief of people all paying big money to have it piped into his home. That's the only difference. He didn't have more faith. He had less unbelief. We are swimming in unbelief. Our society is baptized in unbelief. And most of us are plugged into it and right in step with them and wondering, why is it so hard? I just need more faith. No, you need less unbelief. You've already got it. You got everything you need. The problem is we got more than we need. More doubt and unbelief. And then that 21st verse that's left out of the NIV is really important. And it says, how be it this kind goeth not out but by prayer and fasting. Man, I wish I had time to teach on that. But anyway, you've already got everything that you need. And so what we need to do is pray these prayers like in Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 3, that God would open up the eyes of our understanding and help us to see what we've already got. And once you see what you have in Christ, your faith will be effectual. Isn't that simple? That's awesome. Father, we love you and we thank you that you have provided everything for us. I pray that you take these few words said this morning and use it to help people to recognize they've got everything that they need, that there is not a shortage of faith, and that we would quit agreeing with the devil and speaking unbelief, and we would start saying about us what the Word says, that the life we live, we live by the faith of the Son of God. Thank you, Jesus. We just agree. And we receive that in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me ask again if our prayer ministers will come down here, if there's anybody here who needs prayer. We prayed for people until we've nearly rubbed all the hair off the top of your head. But if there's somebody new here that today, or if you need prayer for anything, this is what our prayer ministers are for, so please come down here. Remember that immediately, right now, over here across the foyer, we're having that meeting about the Bible college. We will have people share with you all of the details, take questions. There will be students that will give testimonies, a lot of things. So please participate in that meeting. Go pick up your kids. Amen. And if you need prayer, come and let one of our prayer ministers here agree with you and pray for you. You're dismissed.